tell you what, there's no telling what's going to happen the next three Sunday nights. The nights were the first of our, quote, question and answer answers. Uh, and the next Sunday night is the first debate. And then the next Sunday night is the second debate. So who has a clue whether it was going to happen? But I tell you what, we've got a really good crowd tonight. And I hope we have an even better crowd next week. Um, try to encourage people that aren't here to be here. Uh, because it's definitely something that is incredibly relevant uh, to us and, uh, you know, something we really need to talk about. Uh, and so we'll, we'll deal with that next week. Now, that being said, we go back and we, you think about this little passage here. This was not on the sheet. By the way, I, the PowerPoint is not going to be incredibly helpful, but I will have some things up there. Because uh, I thought about just reading straight from the sheet. Because the person that wrote the questions, they did a very good job of trying to explain what they were asking uh, in their eight questions here. And so I'm going to try to address all of those in the time, but I may not get to them all. And if not, I'll deal with them at another time uh, in that way. But this was not one of the passages. But I want you to, to put yourself in this situation. You're a Jew in Israel. And the law tells you, if you have disciplined your son, and your son refuses to obey you, that you take him to the elders of the city, and you say, my son refuses to obey me, he's a drunkard, and he is a glutton. What was every male supposed to do? What were the elders supposed to do? Verse 21. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death. I wonder how many of us, if we were Jews in Israel, would have said, well, who am I to judge? Like, I don't know what's going on in his life. I don't know what kind of parents they really are. And the law says, men, stone him. That is serious. That's really harsh, as a matter of fact. Like, this is somebody's life that is now put into your hands. I don't know how many of us want to sign up for that job. Most of us, Michael's got jury duty, I think he was telling me this week. Most of us don't want to be on a jury. In this state, you don't even have to worry about that because there is no death penalty in this state. You can give someone life in prison, but you don't have to worry about, is this person deserving of death? Is their life in my hands? While other states, in my home state of Alabama, you put on a jury, capital murder jury, you've got to put someone else's life in your hands. Who am I to judge? And that is where this person is coming from as you consider passages, and you might want to open up there to Matthew chapter 7, one of those very hot-button topics, one of those very hot-button passages of verse 1, as we probably quote it, but we'll quote it, judge not, don't judge me, but we stop there. Judge not that you not be judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I want you to just to stop and just think for just a second. Who am I to judge? Like, 
does anyone really feel adequate to judge another human being? I must be honest with you. I don't usually feel very adequate to judge another human being. But I'll also be honest with you. I don't think about that before I judge another human being. I just naturally make a judgment about them. And there is a difference about a collective making a judgment and an individual making a judgment. And sometimes not only do we confuse an individual judging someone, we confuse the word judge with rebuke. We think that if someone rebukes me, they are judging me. Well, that's not the way the Bible would prescribe and portray the word judge. I want you to consider how the Bible uses the word judge as I put it up there on the screen. And hopefully you can read that. But I want you to think about, do human beings do this? Do they separate? Do they put asunder, pick out, select, choose between people? Absolutely we do, don't we? We pick our friends. We judge the kind of person that we want to hang out with. We judge whether or not we want to marry someone. We have to use our judgment. We wouldn't say we're condemning so-and-so because I chose to go on a date or I chose to marry this person rather than this one over here, would we? We wouldn't say that, but we're okay saying I used my better judgment on that. That's a, that's a form of judgment. That's a way that it's used. Or you look at this other way, to approve, to esteem, to prefer. You chose them is the idea. Or you have an opinion about them. We have opinions about people all the time. Sometimes they're right, sometimes they're wrong, but we, we're opinionated. We see somebody walk in and we think, oh man, they look like the part. Or we see somebody walk in and we say, man, I don't want anything to do with them. They're a little scary, a little rough around the edges. And we have immediate judgments in our mind. And now we would say, no, I shouldn't be doing that. And I would say, you're probably right about that. But we have a very familiar phrase in our English language. Don't judge. Right? That's what our, that's what our language ends, right? No. Don't judge a book by its cover. You know what that implies? You judge a book by its content, or as we mean with individuals, you judge a book by its character. An individual by their character, just not how they look. Too often we are quick to form opinions about people just on the way that things look rather than the way things are. And that's part of what happens when it comes to judging. Or you resolve, you decree all these different things. But a lot of times when the Bible talks about judgment, as you would see there, it would be to pronounce something. Like an actual judge would get up and declare someone guilty or declare someone innocent. Now that is where I don't feel comfortable in many cases. My best friend from high school, he was just elected as a district court judge. You, I, I, he gets paid pretty well. And the retirement of that will be very well, uh, as he told me. It's not enough money for me to want to be in that position. Because 
because you are declaring someone innocent, you're declaring someone guilty, but yet for some reason as Christians, we've got no problem declaring so-and-so innocent and -and so-and-so guilty just on on the, the whim, on our opinion, all these different things, and so we pronounce judgment about them, we really condemn them, and we say, you're sinning, you're wrong, you're all this stuff. And we somehow refuse to, well, do it fairly, do it justly. And so what happens is we see that phrase in Matthew 7 that says, do not judge. And we lump all judgment into do not judge. When the Bible is going to be clear that that is not the only type of judgment, but I do want you to notice that in Matthew chapter 5, or Matthew chapter 7, that he says, do not judge because the manner in which you use will be used against you or measured to you. What is he saying there? He's saying how you judge other people, that's what's going to be used on you. That's what he's talking about. And so he goes on to talk about, man, how can you, with a log in your eye, get on somebody who's got a speck in their eye? And we sit back and we say, how dare people, they got a big old log in their eye. And then we look in the mirror and lo and behold, I'm the one with the log in the eye. But yet I sure am quick to point out the old speck and brother so-and-so. And I'm making sure that everybody knows about brother so-and-so. And so because naturally we do things that are not what the Bible tells us to do about judging... We immediately think that all judgment is wrong, all judgment is not for us. And the truth is, as question one was asked on the sheet, does God want us to judge? If you went back to the Old Testament, would you say that God wanted the men of that city to judge whether that son was worthy of death or not? And the answer is absolutely yes. Yes, God wants us to judge. Consider a couple passages. Consider John chapter 7. In John chapter 7, this is that time when Jesus' brothers tell him, Hey man, why don't you go to Jerusalem and make yourself known? And Jesus says, No, I'm not going to go. And then he goes separately and he goes and he's teaching amongst the people. And as he's there teaching, the people are so confused in verse 25 Is this not the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities know that he really is the Christ? Like there are people in that audience that are saying, this guy Jesus actually is the Christ. But that's not everyone in that audience. I want you to go back up now to verse uh, 23. Actually consider in verse 20. The crowd answered After he said, you're trying to kill me. They said, you have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? I I, I want you to think. I'll stop there for a second. When was the last time you said somebody was crazy? We're not trying to do that. And you were trying to do that very thing. (laughs) Like, they caught you and you're like, no, 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 no. We're not, we're not, no, we're not saying that. You misunderstood what I said. Well, he said, I did one word. Verse 21, and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, and not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, 
Are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made whole a man's whole body well? You upset with me because I performed a miracle on the Sabbath and you have no problem circumcising on the Sabbath day because the law says to do it on the eighth day? You got no problem with that, right? Here's what he says, verse 24. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. The truth is, God wants us to judge. He wanted them to discern, to make an opinion about who the Christ was. Where does this guy get all his wisdom from? Why is this guy performing all these miracles? And instead of looking at it from, whoa, no one has ever done this many miracles before. And oh, no one has ever spoken with this authority before. They're looking at it, what good can come out of Galilee? Isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Don't we know all these things? And they're not judging on what the evidence shows. They're judging on what they want to see. By the appearance, it's not right. He's not saying, don't you dare judge. He's saying, don't judge by appearances. You've got to think about that. Or you consider a more well-known passage, maybe, in regards to judging. Consider 1 Corinthians chapter 5. When you think about 1 Corinthians chapter 5, where there was a man in the Corinthian church that he had his father's wife. He was sleeping with her. So that's a pretty messed up story a little bit, right? And the Corinthians were really bothered that he was sleeping with his father's wife. No, just the opposite. They were boasting about this. It was all well and it was all good to them. And so, beginning of verse 11, I want to pick up in the middle of it. He says, Now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual morality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindlered. Not even he was such a one. For what have I to do to judge with judging outsiders, those that are outside the body of Christ? Is it not those inside the church? Whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Paul doesn't tell the Corinthians, don't you dare judge that fornicator. He says, judge that fornicator. You deal with him. God handles those outside. You deal with those inside the church. So God clearly wants us to judge other people. And you would consider that in chapter 6. Look in chapter 6. They're having fights amongst themselves and they're taking each other to court and to law. And he says to them in verse 5, I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between brothers? But brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelief. You don't have anybody in the room that can settle a dispute, and let's use the word, that can judge between you two? And the answer was supposed to be, yeah, you do. You don't take it outside, he says. That is to your shame. You're taking brother before these unbelievers, and you're bringing shame and reproach on the name of Christ. You should be handling this in-house. And that's a phrase we're very familiar with, isn't it? 
We want to keep our problems in-house. We don't want to air our dirty laundry. But yet when it comes to dealing with other people, especially in the church, we got no problem dealing with somebody else's dirty laundry. Airing their dirty laundry. We're okay talking about brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so. And we don't think about the seriousness of things like that. So a lot of times we begin to run our mouth with gossip. We begin to run our mouths with all of these other things, and we are judging in that capacity. And so, does God want us to judge? Well, absolutely God wants us to judge. So I want you to look at it from another way. If you think back to that passage in Matthew chapter 7, right? He wants us, it's not do not judge at all, but do not judge knowing that the measure that you use will be measured against you, right? Now, the truth is that when God wants us to judge, He understands, we have to understand that He will use my judgment standard. What I use against Him. So look in Luke chapter 19, where we see the example of God actually using my own judgment. Uh, Now this would be in Luke's kind of telling of what we would know more, Matthew 25, as the parable of the talents. It's a very similar parable. It's not exactly the same, but it's of the minas. It's, again, a, a piece of money. And I want you to just go down. It's very similar. He gave one, five, two, one. And basically the same type of thing happened with that. Now, I want you to notice as we get to the man in verse 20. Uh, the man that he gave one to. He said, then another came saying, Lord, here's your mina, which I have kept laid in a handkerchief. It's like that guy that went and buried it and hid it in the ground. He says, for I was afraid, verse 21 of you, because you were a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, the one that said, you reap where you don't sow, he says, verse 22, I will condemn you. There's our word, judge. I will judge you, condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reap and what I did not sow and so on and so on and so forth. See what he said? I'll use your own words against you. You want to say that? Okay, fine. Just understand, I'm going to use that against you. You say, Wes, what is that all about? When I'm quick to make an opinion about someone else and when I'm quick to make a judgment about someone else, guess what? Things coming right back on. And we don't want that, right? We don't want people to be impatient with us. We don't want people to be too hasty with us. We want patience. We want mercy. We want all these things. So this gets to the, one of the other questions on the sheet here. How, then, do we judge as Christians? If we're supposed to judge as Christians, how do we judge? And I've got seven points right here that I think are very practical Uh, in this concept of how should we be judging as Christians. I want you to think about that again from Matthew 7. Judge not lest you be judged. I would start by saying we judge cautiously. Again, back to that, that picture of stoning that rebellious son. And are any of us getting up that morning and being excited about going and casting the first stone? I I tell you, I'm not, right? I imagine that was a pretty dark day in a city if it ever came to that. 
the rest of Israel would hear and they would fear. You do it cautiously. You don't just jump right on it. You don't put the foot to the metal, the pedal to the metal, and you hold on now. You're very cautious about it, knowing what is at stake in what I'm about to say. Secondly, as we saw in John 7, you do it rightly. You do it based on the evidence. You don't do it based on what you think or what you suspect, right? In the court of law, in the Old Testament, right? Nothing was established without two or three witnesses. In our court of law, circumstantial evidence doesn't convict you. There has to be some form of physical evidence to go along with that. It can't just be what it looks like they did it, and I'm pretty sure they did it. You have to be able to prove that someone did that before the judge declares them guilty, innocent, or in this case, the jury declares them guilty or innocent. The judge passes the, the exact punishment and all of that. But the point would be this, is that you have to make sure that when you say what you're saying, that is actually right. That is actually the way it is. And so if I'm cautious, and I make sure that what I'm saying is right, what I'm saying is true, then I do it, thirdly, humbly. Like, I don't want to do this. I want you to consider it from Jesus' perspective as he talks about himself judging. In John the 5th chapter, in John the 5th chapter, we already find out that they're trying to kill him. And they were persecuting him. And because he was doing things on the Sabbath, and on top of that, he was saying that he was equal with God. And I want you to consider down in verse 19. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. And here it is, verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing, and greater works than these He will show Him so that you may marvel. You say, what's one of the world has got to do with judgment? Well, it doesn't, per se, right now. But what he's saying is, everything that I do right now is what I see my Father doing. I'm not doing anything that he's not, I'm copycatting Ken, we would say. Now go down to verse 30. He said, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just or fair or right Because I seek not my own, but the will of Him who sent me. You see, when Jesus was given the authority to judge, He wasn't out just trying to be vindictive about His judgment. He was doing what the law said to do, what God was telling Him to do very humbly. He was not taking this upon Himself but rather he was doing what he was supposed to do. The job he was given to do. And we've already seen that Christians are given a job to judge. And we must take that very cautiously, as we've already seen, and rightly knowing that what we are, when we make judgments, right, that they are what God wants. That it is what God said, and it's just as God would do it. 
not what man would do, not what humanly would, as as a human would do, but someone who humbly recognizes, I'm kind of inadequate for this job, but God's given me what I need in this, and so you don't approach it with arrogance; you approach it very humbly. Or the fourth thing that we want to see is that this judgment is done beneficially. It is for the benefit of the person whom is being judged. Consider Matt James chapter 4, where I get this from. In James the 4th chapter, it's that famous passage where humble yourselves before God, draw near to God, He'll draw near to you, flee the devil and He'll flee from you, or resist the devil and He'll flee from you. And then you pick up verse 11. Do not speak evil against one another. Some of your translations may say, do not blaspheme. The idea of our word here, I believe, is to cause injury to your brother. Don't speak so that you're injuring your brother. You're speaking against him. Because the one who speaks against his brother or injures his brother with his speech or judges his brother, he speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. And there's only one lawgiver and judge. And he is able to destroy and save. But who are you to judge your neighbor? I say, now, Wes, that sounds very contradictory to what we read in 1 Corinthians 5. Judge the evil person from among your midst. Well, I think what's being done here is the judgment is not for the benefit of the one who's doing the sin, but the judgment is because I'm trying to hurt my brother with my speech. I'm out to get him. And so there I am condemning my brother for what he's doing. Say, can you give me an example of that? Like, I think you're making that up. I want you to go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'm one of those people that doesn't like to call people out by their names. There are preachers, and I'm sure Michael knows them. Michael is not one of those either. But there are preachers that are very quick to point out denominational preachers, other preachers in the, quote, Church of Christ. And they're okay just throwing out names and what brother so-and-so is preaching, and it, it means nothing to them at all. And I come across things as I'm reading in, in the Bible, and that makes me very uncomfortable. Because a lot of times it's not done for the benefit of that individual, but just to tear that individual down, that brother down. I want you to consider 1 Timothy chapter 1, as Paul is writing to Timothy. And he says in verse 19, at the beginning of 18, he says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Don't just go out there fighting battles. You wage the good ones, the good battles. He goes on to talk about that, 19. Holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, and that would be faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander. Name drops right there. Me, I wouldn't like to say those names. Paul had no problem saying it because notice what he says. Whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn 
not to blaspheme. He hadn't just delivered them to Satan. By the way, I think he had judged them publicly. He hadn't delivered them over to Satan, judged them publicly, just for the sake of judging them publicly, but for their benefit that they would learn not to blaspheme Christ And if they had that relationship cut off, maybe they would learn and they would come back and they would be saved. Like the situation in 1 Corinthians 5 with that man with the adulterous in that adulterous relationship. Deliver him over to Satan for the saving of his flesh. His spirit was in great need. His flesh needed to be destroyed so that his spirit might be saved. And too often times when we make judgments about people, it's not for their benefit. It's for mine. It's for me to look better. It's for me to be right rather than for that individual to be made right eventually. So we've got to be cautious that what I'm doing is not for my good, but for their good. Okay? Now here's the other side of that coin. Consider 1 Corinthians 5, the verse that I keep referencing. Go back to 1 Corinthians 5. We read it. I don't have it on here as the beneficial one, but the truth is it is beneficial. I want you to go back to verse 6 of 1 Corinthians 5. And remember, they, again, they were boasting about this relationship. Verse 6, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Just a little bit. It permeates, it affects everyone. So cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. And he goes on to talk about these other things. And so verse 13, as he would close out, God judges those outside, but purge the evil person from among you. You get that little bit of leaven out of you. The truth is, is that sometimes collectively as a church, we have to make a judgment on individuals Not only for the benefit of those that are wrong, but for the benefit of those that are still here. It's because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. All it takes is a little false teacher over here, a little adulterous relationship over here, a little drunk club over here, a little smoking weed club over here to permeate the whole group. And the next thing you know, What in the world has happened? And that gets us to point number five. Is that judgment has to be done in a timely manner. You see, the problem with the Corinthians were, they were saying, who am I to judge? They weren't giving judgment on that. But yet if you go to chapter four, they had no problem judging Paul. They didn't have any issue at all about saying, Paul, man, you are a bum in one sense. Consider, and I don't want to read this whole thing, but Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 4 is that a steward, someone who has been entrusted with the job from someone else, he is found to be responsible and he is judged by his master, the one who put him in charge. And obviously Jesus Christ is the one who put Paul in charge of his apostleship and his ministry. So I'm going to pick up in verse, verse 3. He says, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you, Corinthians, or any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. 
I'm not the judge. You know this. You're not the judge. They're not the judge. I'm not the judge. But I'm not aware of anything against myself. Like, if even if I was, I don't think I've done anything wrong. But I'm not thereby acquitted. Just because I don't know that I've done anything wrong doesn't mean that I'm acquitted of that because maybe I have done something. Maybe I'm not found trustworthy. It is the Lord who judges me. Verse 5, he says, Therefore, do not pronounce judgment. Right? He stops right there. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment. Well, no, he continues, doesn't he? Before the time. Before the time, the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. See, what happens too often is we're too... (sighs) And then the other times we are too... (sighs) And when he's saying, no, 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 there's got to be the balance of the two. It's got to be timely. It's got to be appropriately. It's got to be right. So you think about that, that passage in Matthew 18. If your brother sins against him, judge him. No, 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 right? If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. You go and you tell him his fault between you and him alone. See, this isn't a public thing. This is something that you deal with one-on-one. If he listens to you and he repents, guess what? You've gained a brother. But if he refuses, take two or three with you. And if he refuses to listen to them, then what do you do? You take it to the church. Again, all of this is a rebuke along the way. And then if you take it to the church and he refuses to listen to you, then he says, then consider him a publican or a tax collector. It's at that point. The judgment isn't made on, he sinned against me, The judgment is made after many rebukes and refusal to repent. That's when someone needs to be condemned. That's when someone needs to be judged is over this refusal. And it's got to be timely. So you don't just jump in front of the church and say, Brother so-and-so is no longer welcome here because blah, blah, blah. And you've never even gone to talk to Brother so-and-so about that. That's not the way it works. You go, you deal with it one on one. Then maximum four on one. Or is it one to two? Either way, we'll go with three. Uh, Three, maximum of three, yeah. Maximum of three, you go. And then you take it to the church. And you give them a chance. You don't rush to it. But you also don't drag your feet on it. Because, man, I'm telling you, it's a difficult thing. Tough balance, isn't it? Too quick, too slow, really difficult. Sixthly, is that it's got to be done fairly. And when we mean fairly, we mean considering Matthew 7. I want you to consider it from Romans chapter 2. Romans 1, Gentiles are blasted for their idolatry, their homosexuality, their disobedience to parents, 
their stubborn hearts. They're all these other things. And Paul makes sure he quickly stomps the arrogance of the Jew out. And he says, therefore, in verse 1, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. How often have I done that? Where he says, you get up there and you say, preach about, don't steal, and you're stealing. Don't murder, and you're murdered. Now, I haven't stolen or murdered that I'm aware of, but various other things in which I would preach against, I've done the exact same things. And in saying those things, guess what? I'm condemning myself because I have condemned someone else. How dare they do that? I would never do that. And then two, three years later, we'll see. Now, don't hold that against me now. I don't want you to hold that against me. But yet I'm still holding you over there for that. See, what happens is far too often we get very hypocritical in our judgments. They're not right. They're not fair. I just don't like what so-and-so is doing. And I'm kind of doing the same thing or a very similar thing. But he notice what he says in verse 5, what you're doing, if that's you. He says, verse 5, because of your hard and impenitent, and notice that again, impenitent, you refuse to change your ways. You're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. When God brings judgment on the entire earth, it will be right. It will be fair. And six, He will render to each one according to His works. You make sure that that log is either acknowledged being in your eye or that log is being removed from your eye and you're not just going to let it sit there. Because when we just let it sit there, what's the matter? You're bringing judgment on yourself. Or as James chapter 2 and verse 9 says, in dealing with this thing, remember a finely dressed brother walks in and you say, hey, sit here. And another man in shabby clothes, he walks in and you say, oh, sit back there in the back. Jesus says, man, or what James says in James 9, if you show partiality, you are committing sin and you are convicted by the law as transgressors. Whoever's kept the whole law, etc. But notice verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, if it's my family or if it's my friend, I'm not so quick to judge them. But if it's somebody I don't know, if it's somebody I don't like, then, hey, they're free game, man. They, they've done wrong. They need to be judged. They need to be dealt with. But if you dare say anything about my kid, I'll tell you what. How often do you see that happen? I'll tell you what, in my lifetime I've seen a lot of parents leave the Lord because their children were condemned. Because their children were like that Deuteronomy 21, drunkards and gluttons and revilers and idolaters and swindlers, and all of those things that were listed in 1 Corinthians 5, 
that the church is supposed to deal with, their children were, and they said, I'd rather side with the children. And i got to tell you, man, if I was a parent, that would have to be one of the toughest things to do. I can't imagine having to take my child to the city to put him to death. I can't imagine having to sit in a room and have my child's name read in front of everyone to say, this brother or this sister is living in sin. And have to be as a parent. They're now a tax collector and a sinner. I now can't eat with such a one. That's not easy. That is really hard to do. But I'll tell you what, it's the right thing to do. It's the fair thing to do. And I hope that if I ever have children, and God forbid my children don't live as they are, hope I've got enough courage and enough guts to do the right thing and to do the judgment fairly in that. And then finally, if we close with number seven, and we just read in verse 13, I need to make sure that when I judge, I'm judging, judging mercifully. Like, put myself in their shoes for just one second. How would I want this to go down? I've said this a lot, and I'm not sure how true it is, but I think it's true. We all want mercy. That is true. And I think a part of this wants justice to be paid. If I have been wronged, I want justice. I'm not sure how many times I want justice when I am the one that has done the wrong. I'm wanting the mercy. And the truth is, when we're talking about sin and we're talking about being merciful, we're not talking about it's okay that you committed that sin. We're talking about being patient with someone, giving them opportunities to repent. And not just cutting them off right away, but over time you will find out whether or not that person has that penitent heart and whether or not mercy needs to be given over to judgment. But too far, too many times I give it too quickly and I'm not merciful in the slightest bit. I can't believe you would do that. I could never do that. And the truth is I've done something equally as bad it's scary. It's very difficult. And I didn't answer all the questions on the sheet, so maybe I'll deal with some of the others uh, at another time. A couple of them are even more difficult. But the truth is God does want us to judge. God does not want us not to judge. God doesn't want us to be too harsh. God doesn't want us to be unfair. God wants us to be just. God wants us to be merciful. God wants us to be fair with people. And then we got to realize this is no joke when it comes to casting judgments and pronouncing judgments against people. But it's also no joke if we refuse to do what God has told us to do. Double-edged sword. Good luck to us. We'll pray that God will help us with all of those decisions. Your subject, in any way, need the prayers. Congregation, I want you to come now as we stand and as we sing.